Pushkin. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tight Knit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Jake Halpern here. Before we get started, I wanted you to know that Deep Cover Season 2 will be dropping weekly on Mondays. But the full season is available right now, ad-free, for Pushkin Plus subscribers. That's all 10 episodes right away. Find Pushkin Plus on the Deep Cover Show page in Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm. Previously on Deep Cover. In 1986, Bob Cooley began working with the FBI as an undercover operative. And he started going after smaller targets, like bookies, and some big ones too including a state senator. But he still had more work to do. Bob's ultimate target was Pat Marcy. He ran the first ward, a powerful political district controlled by the mob. He was a nasty, vicious human being. You could tell it. If you met the man, you would know that he's uh, he's pure evil, but unbelievably powerful in, in every sense. Bob knew that if he really wanted to accomplish his mission, he had to nail Marcy. Marcy was the big fish. Bob Cooley wasn't the only one trying to expose Pat Marcy in the first ward. There was a TV journalist trying to do the exact same thing. Her name was Carol Marine. She would go on to become a big-time correspondent for 60 Minutes. But back in the 80s, she was a local reporter for Channel 5. And Carol has this one very vivid memory from back then of going out to lunch by herself. I remember one day being in Counselor's Row, which was the restaurant across from City Hall, where the first ward had a table, where the first ward guys and those who were invited would sit and have lunch. 
just so you can picture the place, imagine black leather booths, wood paneling, blood red carpet, lots of old black and white photos up on the wall. This is a place where deals are cut, not all of them kosher. Even the menu hinted at this, advertising a gigantic burger called The Lawbreaker. That particular day, Pat Marcy was there, sitting at his usual table. With him was John Diarco Sr., one of his most trusted confidants, father of John Jr., the poet and state senator. Anyway, Carol just goes about her business, takes a seat, looks at the menu. Ordered a bowl of soup. The waitress came back and said, Mr. Marcy and Mr. Diarco picked up your check. And I said, I don't want them to pick up my check. And she looked at me like, are you kidding me? And so, I mean, I wasn't going to trick bag her, but I went back to NBC, ordered a big fruit basket, and sent it to the first ward to cover the cost of my bowl of soup. It wasn't a coincidence that Carol just popped into Counselor's Row that day. I was always drawn to um, sort of secret societies, the idea of penetrating something that people don't want you to see, that you want to know more about, has always been of interest to me. And in Chicago, there was perhaps no secret society more steeped in mystery and power than the First Ward. Technically, the First Ward was just one of the city's 50 legislative districts. Even so, back in the 1980s, the First Ward was among the most important because it included downtown Chicago, Chinatown, and Greektown. But... In truth, it was much more than this. The first ward was the mob's ward. It always was. Everyone knew it. We had long discussions in the newsroom, uh, the reporters and myself, about how do we get into that? How do we prove it? How do we show it? Uh, And it was always a challenge. Part of the challenge was the fact that Pat Marcy flew beneath the radar. (laughs) Why? because he was elusive. He was not in the public view, on purpose. The way organized crime truly works is you don't know who they are. The Pat Marcy's are the people that operate behind the scenes with the real power. But Carol, she was patient. She worked her sources, talked to them on payphones, just listened and slowly built trust. And then one day, Years after cultivating sources, the phone rings, and a voice says, go to Counselor's Row now. Little did Carol Marine know, she was about to cross paths with Bob Cooley and the FBI. Not just that, she would soon find the evidence that she needed. She was about to break a major story on the first ward. And this would put Bob in a very precarious situation where he might be outed, or worse. I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, Mobland. Episode 8, The Big Fish.
By this point, Bob had been working undercover for over two years. The FBI referred to the whole effort as Operation Gambat, short for Operation Gambling Attorney, an apt name. Of course, Bob himself was a gambler. He also represented bookies who ran the mob's gambling operations. And in a way, this whole operation itself was one big gamble. Now it was time to go after Pat Marcy. The FBI had been trying to incriminate him for 20 years, and they'd gotten nowhere. Ironically, Bob's big break came from his brother, Bill Cooley. Bill was a lawyer like Bob, but an honest one. Bill had a client with a property in the First Ward that needed rezoning. So Bill did what he was supposed to do, went to see the First Ward's alderman, a guy named Fred Rohde. Rohde was an elected official, but he was also very much a mob guy. People joked openly that Rohde's campaign motto really ought to be, vote for Rohde and nobody gets hurt. When Rohde discovers that Bill is Bob's brother, he suggests rather cryptically that Bob should call him. Eventually, Bob gets wind of this. I knew exactly what it meant. I know what he wants. He's gonna, he's gonna want to bribe him, whatever. And this is a perfect opportunity for Bob. Bob didn't have to come up with some scheme and approach Rody. No, this was far better. Rody had solicited this bribe on his own. Just to be clear here, Rody wasn't as big a fish as Pat Marcy, but he was still an important player. Bob and the FBI cooked up a plan. Bob would bribe Rody to get the building rezoned. The FBI would provide the money. Bob would get the whole thing on tape. So, Bob arranges to meet Rody at Counselor's Row. They sit down, and Bob lays it all out. I made up some stuff, you know, where they got a big building, and, and they're going to make millions doing this and doing that and whatever, and I want to know how much it's going to cost to take care of it. While we're talking, who comes walking up but Pat Marcy? Yeah, the Pat Marcy, the big boss. He comes around the corner, and he sees us sitting there. And he said, what's going on here? It was an awkward moment. Marcy seemed suspicious. Bob says Rody seemed a bit like he was a kid who'd been caught with his hand in the cookie jar. I have no doubt in my mind that Rody was going to do this deal himself. Uh, was going to do this and was going to cut Pat out of whatever it was. Because he says, oh, Pat, he said, I was going to tell you about this, Pat. Rody jumps to his feet and offers his chair to Marcy. Marcy sits down. At this point, Rody explains what's going on. Bob is here on business with a request to rezone a building. According to the transcripts, here's what's said next on the wire. Marcy says, quote, Tell me who the fucking owners are. Bob explains that the owners are square, meaning they don't want to be directly involved with paying a bribe. Marcy tells him, quote, You're going to need zoning. What else are you going to need there? And like that, Marcy has taken over. He's now in charge. He tells Bob, quote, Once we see what it is, then we'll talk about it. In other words, you have to pay if you want to get something done. And, uh, you know, what are the facts and you know what, what's this and what's that? And I'll determine how much it's going to cost and whatever. But Pat cut himself into this deal. To Marcy, it must have seemed like Rody was taking all the spoils for himself. And a strong man like Marcy could never let that happen. 
And so, Marcy intervenes and walks right into Bob's hands. So, Bob presses ahead with his bribery scheme. At his next meeting with Rhody at Counselor's Row, Bob brings a pad and a pen. He's got a bunch of notes written on the pad with made-up specs on this building that needs to be rezoned. And then he looks up at Rhody and says, quote, Tell me what the procedure is now. That's code for how much is this thing going to cost me? Rhody then grabs the pen and notepad and writes down the number 75 and underlines it. Rhody's being careful, playing it smart, not saying anything out loud. Here's what's said next on the wire. Rhody, you know what I'm talking about? Bob, yeah, little ones, not big ones. That's also code. Bob is clarifying what exactly 75 means. He's asking if it's 75 little ones, which would mean $750. Rhody, no, 7500 Bingo. Rhody has broken code. Apparently, he got frustrated or careless, and he just says the exact amount, which is fantastic for Bob. All that Bob needs to do now is get the actual payoff on tape. So, as discreetly as he can, Bob pulls out some money and says, quote, Let me give you 500 now, so you've got some lunch money in your pocket. The next step for Bob is to put cash in Marcy's hands. So, three days later, Bob straps on his tape recorder again and returns to Counselor's Row. Pat Marcy is waiting for him and escorts him to the back of the restaurant. Bob asks him if the figure that Rhody has given him is okay. Translation, is 7,500 a big enough bribe for you? Marcy tells him, quote, the figure's okay. Bob then counts out $3,500, the first installment. Marcy takes the money on tape and in so doing, incriminates himself. Now, you might be tempted to think, okay then, Bob's done here, right? He's got Marcy. Why doesn't he get the hell out of Dodge? But that's not how Bob saw it. He was determined to make certain that the case against Marcy and the first ward was airtight, so no judge or jury could possibly acquit. In short, there was more work for Bob to do. He had to pay off a second installment on that zoning bribe. He also had another scheme in mind. He was trying to get Marcy to tamper with another court case. Bob's handlers at the FBI agreed with this strategy. Here's Marie Dyson. He just kept going back to to Marcy. He could do that. And then if it didn't feel right that day, he'd stay away from Marcy for a while. How dangerous was Marcy? Very. Deadly. And the scary part was, there were so many ways he could blow his cover. Stupid little things could go wrong. In fact, this is exactly what happened a while later when Bob returned to Counselor's Row for another visit with Marcy. That day... They're actually outside the restaurant, chatting on the sidewalk. They're getting ready to go inside. Marcy gestures for Bob to go first. And then he places his hand on Bob's lower back, on the exact spot where Bob's tape recorder is tucked away. So when he did that, I mean, it was like somebody hit me with a hammer. And I was terrified that he had, you know, that he he would know what it was. Bob's mind is racing trying to come up with his next move. I'm just acting, trying to act as nonchalant as I can, but believe me, I'm a nervous wreck at this particular instant. Bob and Marcy enter the restaurant together. 
they head over to the First Ward table. I went like I was going to sit down, and then I pulled myself up as you would if, you know, you had a problem. I said, oh, my back is killing me, I said, you know, and I've got this brace, and it's not helping. It's not helping a whole lot. The back injury is bullshit. Bob is just making it up on the spot. And the back brace? Well, that was Bob's cover. So if by chance Marcy had felt something, well then, there was an explanation. But would Marcy buy it? The problem was there was no getting into Marcy's head. Did he know? Was he suspicious? And what was his threshold for quite literally pulling the trigger? Bob and his FBI handlers were all guessing. When we come back after the break, Bob pushes his luck. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It had been a close call with Marcy, and Bob still didn't know if he was safe. He talked the whole thing over with his handlers, the carpool buddies, Steve and Marie. You know, you're scared, and he's scared, and everybody's scared. Anything could happen. We were going to do everything in our power not to make a mistake because this guy could get killed <laughs> just like that. Given all of this, it was inevitable that Bob started to go down some dark rabbit holes, thinking about the worst case scenarios of how it might end for him. The only thing I really feared, I didn't fear dying. I feared being tortured. I did not think I would like that. 
Bob had once been friends with a gangster named William Butch Petroselli, who'd fallen out of favor with the mob. Bob believes he was one of the last people to see Butch alive. Bob says they had lunch together one day. Butch disappeared a few days later. Months passed without any sign of him. Then Butch's charred body was discovered. He'd been stabbed in the chest, and his body had been burned with a blowtorch. I'd wake up sweating and whatever because I saw myself being tortured. I kept seeing pictures of Butchie, contemplating a blowtorch to my testicles and things like that. That you know that I was I was terrified of that. Bob knew he needed a contingency plan, something he could do to save himself from this fate. I had contemplated carrying, uh, you know, carrying some kind of tablets so I could commit suicide if, you know, if they caught me. But, you know, but I I just never did do that. And the reason I didn't do that is because I would have gone to hell then. I believe that committing suicide, you know, is one of those sins that you can't do. It was ironic in a way. Bob was a man who enjoyed his pleasures, money, sex, power, and he was willing to bend the rules to get all of these things. But in the end, he would not compromise his own moral code to save himself from the most gruesome of endings. Instead, Bob decided to carry a gun, two guns in fact, which was a problem. Here's Bob's handler, Steve Bowen. Bob was never authorized to carry a gun under any conditions. Did I know on occasion that he had a gun on him? Yeah, and did I do anything about it? No. If I was going in to do what we're asking him to go in to do, I'd want a gun on me too. I asked Bob what his plan was. What would be his move if he walked into some back room and a group of mob henchmen were waiting for him? I figured if I walked into that room and there's a group there, just start shooting. When it came to decompressing, Bob didn't have a lot of options. The FBI wouldn't let him gamble. Bob wasn't married, and he didn't have anyone he could totally confide in. He never went to a therapist. But he did have at least one form of catharsis, feeding wildlife. Yep, for a while, Bob lived in an apartment on the outskirts of Chicago. It was on the first floor, and Bob liked to open up the glass doors, sit outside, and feed the animals. Birds would come, but what he really liked were the raccoons. We'd watch them eat and feed, and and I'd have a little water gun, because I'd have to spray the mother raccoon because she'd beat up on the kids, you know, fighting for the food. But I just enjoyed doing stuff like that. This image has stayed with me. I imagine Bob, after a stressful day of work undercover, coming home, taking off his coat, setting his gun down on the table then walking through those glass doors, picking up a water gun, and using it to protect the baby raccoons, making sure they got enough to eat. Bob told me he loved all animals, except rats and snakes. (laughs) Why? Because they're, they're dirty little creatures. They remind me a lot of some people. And, and snakes, I, for some reason, I just don't like snakes. Although, he quickly added, these are God's creatures. All they, all they want in life is to, you know, eat and fall around and, uh, you know, and survive. Sadly for Bob, eventually he decided that the first floor apartment, it wasn't safe. He just felt too exposed there. 
So he moved to another apartment on the fourth floor of a nearby building. He still tossed food off the balcony, but it wasn't quite the same. In so many ways, life just kept narrowing for Bob. And now, even the baby raccoons were gone. Bob kept going with his undercover work. There was no way of knowing whether Pat Marcy had felt that tape recorder on his back. So, cautiously, he returned to Counselor's Row, wearing a wire and armed with his two guns. His goal was to bribe Marcy once again, to get him on tape agreeing to tamper with a court case. This time, as he enters Counselor's Row, Bob is on high alert. So is his handler, Steve Bowen, who is stationed across the street. Inside the restaurant, Bob has a look around. Almost right away, he sees a mobster named Ernest Rocky Infeliz. Rocky was a burly guy, a former paratrooper, with a well-earned reputation for brutality. Bob plays it cool. He makes the rounds, mingling with the regular patrons, and then he sees Pat Marcy. Pat Marcy was standing there, and when he saw me, didn't say a word, just motioned for me to follow him. Where to? That's the question. Bob glances about and realizes he can no longer see Rocky. But there's no time to look for him, because he's got to stick with Marcy. Marcy heads outside, but instead of just stopping there on the sidewalk, he continues, heading towards a parking garage. Bob's trying to get his bearings, and quickly. I, right away, was nervous, wondering, you know, this is something totally unusual. I didn't, I didn't know where the hell they were going. That's Bob's handler, Steve Bowen, watching it all play out from across the street. Whether they were going off in a car, they were going to take him in a restroom or whack him, or whether they just wanted to talk to him in there. Steve is in a bind. If he intervenes and rushes in too soon, he could blow Bob's cover or start a gunfight. But if he waits too long, Bob might get killed. Meanwhile, Bob has now walked into the parking garage with Pat Marcy. He still hasn't seen Rocky. At this point, he's just going with it. We walk through the, the big door where the cars come out, and we walk into a little shitty bathroom. Pat walks in there. I'm following him, and I'm envisioning. Now I've got two guns on it this time. What I'm thinking as I'm walking behind him, this may be a trap. When he opened that door, I'm ready to pull one of my revolvers out and start shooting in case there's people in there. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to say a word. I'm going to start shooting. Two guns at the ready, Bob stands there as Pat Marcy pulls open the door to the bathroom. I can see it's a very small room and there's nobody in there. I can, I can see there isn't. He walks over to the urinal and he takes a leak. Now, he's never said a word to me. Bob just stands there in the bathroom for what seems like forever. He's still on the lookout for Rocky or some other would-be assailant who might rush through the door at any moment. Meanwhile, outside on the street, Steve can't wait any longer. It was just me, and I had to go, so I started to go in there after him, and then I was going in. I was going to try to find him and protect him if I had to. And just then, he sees Bob and Marcy walking back out. Huge sigh of relief. It had all been a false alarm. But to Bob, it didn't seem like a chance occurrence. 
not at all. There's almost no doubt in my mind that they're testing. I see. So the test is, if this guy's wearing a wire, there's no way he's going to follow me into a bathroom in a parking lot. Exactly. I mean, you know, I've been dealing with these people for years. He's never, he's never done something like that before in all this time. Bob says he was determined to keep going. His handler, Marie, admired his courage, but she knew how risky this was for him. Every day that you continue to do this is a scarier day because you, when should you stop? You need what you need for evidence. You need what you need to make cases. But at the same time, it's becoming very, it's, the danger is increasing for Bob. This is a human being. (laughs) This is a person, you know, that has offered to do this and has asked very little of us. And we are putting him in harm's way. It seemed like for the moment Bob was safe and that Pat Marcy didn't know that the FBI was on to him. But all of that was about to change. Little did anyone know, a gigantic story was about to break, thanks to the journalist Carol Marine. More on that after the break. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC, copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Carol Marine had been looking into the first ward for years. 
She's the journalist who visited Counselor's Row, got a free cup of soup, and then sent the first ward guys a fruit basket. She kept plugging away with her reporting. And then one day, her phone rang, and a voice said, Go to Counselor's Row now. We speed to Counselor's Row, and what do you know? There is a, a camera discovered by a busboy inside the bench of a booth that sat across from the first ward table, connected to coaxial cable up through the rafters, up through the floors, up to the other first ward office. The feds had bugged the first ward table. So, Carol races to break her story about the bug. Meanwhile, Bob is actually en route to meet Fred Rohde, the corrupt alderman, to pay him off for his help tampering with the case. Bob's plan is to meet Rohde at, you guessed it, Counselor's Row. At this point, Bob has no idea that a camera has been discovered at the restaurant. In fact, Bob doesn't even know that the FBI has installed such a camera there. No one had bothered to tell him. And now he was walking right into it, completely blind. I get out of the car. I, I start walking on the sidewalk, you know, to go into counselor's row. And I get about halfway from the alley to there. When he sees Fred Rohde, the corrupt alderman. Because he was waiting for me, it turns out. When he saw me, he came out and he motioned me to walk across the street with him. And he started walking across the street. Now, I have no idea what's going on at this time. What the fuck is this? Rody turns to Bob and breaks the news, tells him about the hidden camera that's been discovered. Bob is floored. And right away, what the hell? A bug where? What bug? Bob is legitimately shocked here. He's not putting on a show. He had no idea about that bug. Rody leads him across the street to City Hall and takes him up to his office. Now his office is a huge, a huge room. And it's with ceilings about 30, 40 feet up. And he's not saying a word now. We're not talking at all as we're walking towards there. We go in the thing, and now I'm thinking in my mind, this is some kind of a trap for me. Bob tries to calm himself down. I mean, they're not going to kill him in City Hall, right? He had to keep his composure. When we walk in there, he closes the drapes and hasn't said a word and then comes over to me and says, have you got the money? Have you got the money? In other words, game on. Rody still wants to get paid, which means he still trusts Bob, which means, for the time being, Bob is safe. And I was never so happy in my life to hear, you know, some words. I started counting it out, knowing if I'm counting it, you can hear it on tape. When you're counting money, you can hear that, and I'm saying one, two, three, and I, and I give him the money. So, amazingly... Bob executes his plan. He gets the bribe on tape. But all hell breaks loose when Carol Marine breaks her story for Channel 5. For years, it has been rumored that some of Chicago's most interesting political deals have been made at one particular table at a restaurant near City Hall. Tonight, a shocking surprise for the movers and shakers who sit at that table. Federal agents have been watching them through a hidden camera, and Carol has the exclusive details. 
Ron, the discovery of the camera seems to have blown the lid off part of a major investigation. For more than two years, the Federal Strike Force on Organized Crime has been looking at Chicago's infamous First Ward. Tonight, the story of how part of that investigation has unraveled. On camera, a lawyer representing the restaurant shows Carol around, takes her over to the spot where the camera was concealed. It occupied this area right here, Carol, which is not more than a, a half a foot. The machine itself appeared to be a, a James Bond-type device. It was a busboy a few days ago who, in cleaning, lifted the seat of this booth and, to his amazement and the amazement of his bosses, discovered a very sophisticated camera setup, a camera that was pointed at this corner table, commonly referred to as the first ward table. The table where Bob had sat with Pat Marcy many times. Channel 5 News has learned the FBI is not just interested in the conversations of those who sit at the first ward table, that this probe is an examination of far more than that. The FBI is looking at gambling in Chinatown, which is part of the first ward. It is probing any violations of the Hobbs Act, which addresses official corruption. And it is investigating attorneys, judges, state employees, and politicians. For Pat Marcy and the First Ward guys, this must have been like an air raid siren going off. First comes the news that their unofficial headquarters, Counselor's Row, has been bugged. And now, Carol Marine is telling them straight up that the FBI is investigating their entire corrupt network. So, what do you do when you get news like this? I think if you're Pat Marcy, you take a good, hard look at your own people. You consider the facts. Facts like this. Bob Cooley just paid Rhodey a bribe. And if you're Pat Marcy, wouldn't you wonder, can we really trust Bob? And if the answer is no, what are you going to do about it? Bob knew his time was almost up, but he wasn't ready to walk away just yet. Bob wanted to track down his old friend, a judge he had bribed long ago in that murder case that he'd fixed involving the hitman. In many ways, fixing that case had been Bob's original sin. And he felt, even all these years later, that he still had some unfinished business here. Meanwhile, Carol Marine was getting ready to break an even bigger story. Next time, on Deep Cover. For approximately five years, a Chicago lawyer has been a government informant, secretly recording conversations with some of this city's movers and shakers. The identity of this informant will come as a shock to some powerful people. Deep Cover is produced by Jacob Smith and Amy Gaines and edited by Karen Shikurji. Our senior editor is Jen Guerra. Original music and our theme was composed by Luis Guerra and Fawn Williams is our engineer. Our art this season was drawn by Cheryl Cook and designed by Sean Carney. Mia Lobel is our executive producer. Special thanks to Heather Fain, John Schnars, Carly Migliori, Maya Koenig, Christina Sullivan, Eric Sandler, Mary Beth Smith, Brant Haynes, Maggie Taylor, Nicole Morano, Megan Larson, Royston Beserve, 
Lucy Sullivan, Edith Russo, Riley Sullivan, Jason Gambrell, Martin Gonzalez, and Jacob Weisberg. I'm Jake Halpern. Subscribe to Pushkin Plus and you can binge the rest of the season right now, ads-free. Find Pushkin Plus on the Deep Cover show page in Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. What if we told you about a major breakthrough on awesome savings on all-inclusive beach vacays? OMG, this could break the case. Case? I'm talking about CheapCaribbean.com. It's full of hot savings. At CheapCaribbean.com, score an extra $175 off site-wide on vacations of four nights or more now through June 3rd. A swim-up bar in Punta Cana or dip your toes in the sand on the shores of Cancun. We gotta take this show on the road. Start at CheapCaribbean.com.